Good morning, everyone. My name is Kendra House, and I am a part of the Bertrands Community Group. Um, and my husband is the pastor. So um, today we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 8, verses 10 through 21. So if you are, have a Bible, um, please turn with me there. And if you need a Bible, we have some in the back if you would like someone to bring you one. You can raise your hand. Or it's on the screen behind me. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanatha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, so sorry. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Then they said to them, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, pretty lady from the church. Hey, it was real cool this morning. Like, I just got to stand up here and look out at a gathered church praying before the Lord um, for salvation. And so, um, really, just the blessing. And thank you all for being here. And thank you for being willing to let me call an audible without any notice. Um, So, I've been... In ministry now, Lauren, this is going to surprise you because you've been making fun of me all morning. Uh, I've been in ministry now for like 16 years. Um, Yeah, some of you can't believe that I'm a pastor because you knew me way back when. Anyways, I've been in ministry for a long time in various capacities. I've worked at churches of many different sizes and different places in Texas. And because of that, I've met a lot of different people doing a lot of different types of ministry. A friend of mine is actually planting a church in the Bronx, and, you know, like we meet in the Fun Dome, we have the the breakfast buffet and the putt-putt course down there. His church gathers in a karate studio, so if you drift off in one of his sermons, Chuck Norris actually comes out from backstage and Roundhouse kicks you into submission. Um, (laughs) Of other friends that are serving in Africa, friends obviously that are serving in Southeast Asia, and uh, other people that I know doing stuff all over the world. So one of the more unique guys that I met was this pastor uh, of a church. At the time, he was uh, pastoring this church in Washington State. He was one of a few pastors on staff at this church. And so during the summers, he would travel around all over the country doing youth camps and kids camps and conferences. And he would do these like gospel-based illusion shows. Uh, We couldn't call them magic shows because magic is of the devil. Uh, Michael Scott says... 
that he's not superstitious, but he is a little stitious. So we just call them illusions just to be safe. Um, and this guy would like put himself into a balloon and jump around and uh, it was really crazy. He'd share the gospel during these shows and it was cool and it was fun. So in Christian circles, this guy is like, like semi-famous. I met him through another, fa- uh, another friend who's also in ministry, and he was doing this church camp in DFW when I was living in Arlington, so we, we went to see him perform. But really, we just went to hang out with this guy because he was in Washington, my friend was in Texas, they don't see each other very often, so we just went to hang out. So before the show started, we were backstage with this guy, and I was like watching him set up all of his illusions and tricks. He was doing it right in front of me, like setting it all up. And I was looking at this guy, and I was like, that is so lame. I can do all of this stuff. Now that I know how to do it, like I'm perfectly capable of doing these illusions. So we went out and sat in the crowd, and we watched him do all of these tricks, and guess what? Blew us all away. I saw how he was going to do these tricks And I still couldn't believe he pulled them off. It was unreal. And after the show, we went to a Whataburger. And I was like, Drew, do do that thing that you did. Do it again. And he was kind of looking at me like, who is this clown? Um, And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember. It's just a magic trick. It's just an illusion. I saw you setting it up backstage. My initial reactions backstage were right. I could do everything that he was doing with a little practice and a little know-how and the right equipment. I just didn't know how to do it at the time. So what we're going to see in our text today is this group, the Pharisees, they're back. If you haven't been with us at all through the Gospel of Mark or you've missed a few Sundays, the Pharisees are this group of men who know their Bibles better than anybody in society. They have devoted all of their free time to studying Scripture. Um, They have devoted all of their time to teaching people the Word of God, except that they're always in conflict with Jesus. And when you really look at them, they don't appear all that loving towards the people they're supposed to be leading and caring for. They have a lot of influence in society, but now their hold on the people is starting to be jeopardized because Jesus is doing stuff that they can't explain, and Jesus is doing stuff that they really can't do, and Jesus is gaining popularity while the Pharisees are being challenged and questioned by Jesus. So they're pestering Jesus again. They're wanting more and more from him. They had seen and they had heard all that he had done, He was healing the sick, he was feeding large crowds, he was casting out demons, and they wanted more and more from him. These men wanted Jesus to send them a sign from from heaven. They wanted Jesus to make it known that um, if they saw, they wanted to make it known that if they saw Jesus do yet one more thing, then they would believe him. These guys knew the scriptures. They were some of the most knowledgeable people in the Old Testament that the world has ever seen. But they miss the point. They love the praise of men. That's why they rejected Jesus. They love the praise of men more than they loved God. Look, knowledge isn't wrong. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Like, it's good to be smart, right? As Christians, it's especially important to be biblically smart. 
But the Apostle Paul says that knowledge can puff up and lead to pride, and that is a spiritual obstacle. And when that happens in us, we too miss the point. So here's what I want to place before you this morning as we walk through this text. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you would claim to be a follower of Christ, is your faith situational? Meaning, are you following Jesus in love and in devotion? Or are you following Jesus because of what you're trying to get from Jesus? Are you knowledgeable about Christ, but not in love with Christ? Are you knowledgeable about Christ, but not in love with Christ and in love with what Christ loves? The difference is this. You can know about God, but does the knowledge of your sin lead you to repentance? Does it lead you to godly sorrow? You can know some things about the Bible, but does it lead you to obedience? Does Christ's work lead you to worship? Do you understand who Jesus truly is? So how you answer that question has some dramatic implications, not just for your eternities, but also for you right now. I want to submit to you this again. Following Jesus requires something of you. Following Jesus requires your faith, requires your dependency, and it also requires your obedience to him. So consider this as we walk through our text this morning. Am I being faithful and obedient to what God has called me to do? And if not, why not? So let's pray. Let's ask God to reveal himself to us this morning, and then we're going to hop through this text. Lord Jesus, we love you. Show us where we need to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. I pray that you would reveal yourself and your son to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do a work in our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Mark 8, beginning in verse 10, it says, And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, uh, argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So the last three weeks, we've seen Jesus ministering in non-Jewish areas of the world. We find Jesus in places like Tyre and Sidon. And last week, we find him in this region called the Decapolis, which if you would imagine the Permian Basin, except everything is like within walking distance. Decapolis means 10 cities. So imagine like all of the Permian Basin shrunk down into like a 50-mile thing, and you could just walk from town to town to town. Each of the last three weeks... We've seen three miracles. Each one of these miracles is directed towards Gentiles. Meaning this, that the kingdom of God is not reserved for Jewish people only. But through Jesus, the kingdom of God has now expanded to all nations. We will see this truly and fully realized at the resurrection when Christ commissions his disciples. But here, Jesus has begun to expand the reach of the church, expand his teaching beyond the nation of Israel. And after the resurrection, we see Jesus commission his disciples to go into the world, to make disciples of all nations. And our little local church is an expression of that. Because of these men and their obedience 
and the obedience of generations of believers throughout history. We gather this morning together in worship. The church globally exists today because of the faithfulness of Christ to his mission of redemption and reconciliation of sinful humanity and through the faith and the obedience of the 11 apostles to follow Jesus even to death. And our text, the last three weeks, really mark the beginning of the nation's focus of Jesus' mission and ministry. And today, our text really marks a shift in the Gospel of Mark. We've seen, Mark week after, uh, we've seen in Mark, week after week, Jesus doing many miracles. And now, from this point forward, we're only going to see two more miracles of a similar nature. And then we'll see the resurrection. Jesus' emphasis from this point forward is going to shift from a miracles-focused type work to a more spiritual-focused emphasis. So in verse 10, we see Jesus get into a boat with his disciples. He goes to this region, Dalmanutha. In this region, it's like a healthy mix of Jews and Gentiles. And when Jesus hits the shore, the Pharisees show up and start to press Jesus again. The Pharisees have been plotting against Christ and his life, and up to this point they haven't been able to trap him. So here they come yet again trying to catch Jesus in a contradiction so that they can arrest him. They ask him for another sign. They don't want another healing. They don't want another exorcism. They don't want Jesus to feed a large crowd. They're wanting Jesus to prove that he is God. Jesus is calling to people then, and his call to people now isn't this. It isn't, look at all this cool stuff that I can do. Look how powerful I am. Look at all this cool stuff I can do because of my power. Jesus' call isn't to come check out all these miracles. Man, it's, check me out. I'm the risen Savior, crucified for your sins. Check me out. I, become, I became death by becoming death for you. I rose from the grave. And will, by means of my resurrection and by means of your God-given faith, transform you into Christ's likeness. Jesus' call is believe in the good news. Commitment to Jesus isn't based on mere signs and wonders. It's a voluntary commitment to faith and dependency because we believe in the resurrection. It's faith that he has defeated sin and death on our behalf. Yet, sometimes we are prone to forget. We're prone to forget what Christ has already done for us. And we demand more and more and more. And when we forget about Christ, that leads to sin and that leads to brokenness and that leads to despair. Christian, listen to me. It is okay. It's okay to pray, and it's okay to ask God for things. That's actually what we're called to do. Pray in faith. When we do so, it's actually good and praiseworthy. The adverse is this, though. The adverse is not believing in God. Meaning, when we're not praying, or when you're praying with only yourself in view, and you're making demands on God, and not in faith, but in entitlement, that isn't faith and dependency. That's pride. And pride is a sign of unbelief. 
Listen to this. God invites us to allow him to prove himself to us. So he wants us to test him in faith. It is, however, listen to me, it is, however, not okay to test God in unbelief. The Pharisees are here. They're trying to discredit Jesus. They're not trying to authenticate Jesus. And look at how Jesus responds. Verse 12, it says, And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, and he got into the boat, and he went to the other side. Jesus sighs. This is the second time in two chapters that we've seen Jesus sigh. The first was a sigh, a sigh of, of compassion. Jesus looks at the plight of this deaf and mute guy in chapter 7, and he has pity. That sigh signifies that things aren't as they should be. Sin has broken everything. And here's another ramification of sin. Jesus sighs in anguish and in frustration and in a righteous anger towards the Pharisees because of their unbelief. Jesus' response to them, he's saying to them, if you want a sign, read the scriptures. If you want a sign, read your Bibles. Listen to me, if you can't see God's work being done in and through Christ, nothing will convince you. Beyond that, Jesus says, no sign will be given to you. Matthew 13, we see Jesus say that no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. And that sign is that the Messiah is going to rise from the dead. Once again, as we saw in chapter 6, when Jesus goes to Nazareth, Jesus is unable, rather he's unwilling to do any work there. One commentator says that unbelief is the only thing that limits God, meaning this, not that God can't do something, but that God may not do something, or even that God won't do something. Jesus, in his sovereignty, being fully God, knows the hardness of their hearts. God today also knows the hardness of the hearts of men. And Christ, knowing this, knowing their unbelief, turns his back and sells away. And that is ultimately what he does to those who will continue to refuse to believe in him and his revelation. Jesus didn't pester people into faith. I've seen something on TikTok where like this animal's running away and someone's like, sir, can I tell you about the love of Jesus Christ? And like the animal's like, like Jesus didn't chase people down like that. He wasn't annoying with it. God is not going to force himself on you. God is not going to force you to believe in him. God has revealed himself to you by means of his son, by means of creation, by means of his word. God loves you and God has provided a way for you to him, to know him, to be reconciled to him, to have eternal life through him, and people still reject him. And Daniel Aiken says, unbelief is evil and tragic when it says no to the gospel and no to God's son. So Jesus gets back in his boat and he heads away. And then our story takes a tragically comic turn. Verse 14 I love these disciples, man. Verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. They only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. 
Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they begin discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. L-O-L. So there's 13 dudes in a boat. One loaf of bread. This would be a problem, right? Except one of these dudes is Jesus. Jesus has just fed two separate huge crowds with like a kid's happy meal. A few loaves and a few fish. And his disciples witness all of this. Surely they're going to be okay, right? Jesus, we forgot bread, our bad. But Jesus, we know you can help us. That should have been their response. But rather, they were hangry and they were fearful. The disciples should have realized that if they had Jesus, they had enough. So they're realizing their minor mistake. Again, because one of these guys is Jesus. Their disciples are realizing their minor mistake. And then Jesus starts in with a mini parable. Watch out, he says. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What does that even mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Um, leaven in the New Testament always symbolizes sin or evil. So have you ever wondered, like, why the communion bread is, like, so thin and kind of not great tasting? Um, so, like, you'd put a little leaven or a little yeast in your, in your dough ball and it'd rise. So leaven is a symbol for evil. It's symbolic of evil. So the lack of leaven is a sign of holiness. So when we take communion with unleavened bread, we are remembering what Christ tells the Israelites in the Exodus to not, don't take any leaven because it is a sign for your holiness to eat unleavened bread at the Passover. And so that's why our bread is wafer thin and unleavened. Jesus is telling them, watch out. Leaven symbolizes evil. Keep an eye on yourself, lest you end up like the Pharisees, caring more about what people think about you than the state of your soul. Be careful, says Jesus, that you don't end up like the Pharisees. Remember, I called them hypocrites. Jesus has previously called the Pharisees hypocrites. So Jesus is saying, watch out, disciples. Be careful that you don't become hypocrites. Another word for hypocrite? Fake. Two-faced. Saying one thing, doing another. And in spiritual terms, it's saying that you believe one thing and your life looks completely different than what you say you believe and who it is you say you follow. So that's the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of Herod is this. So Herod was sort of this king. It was kind of a made-up mockery-type position, but he was king of the Jews in this region of Galilee. But he wasn't really a practicing Jew. Rather, he was Jew in ethnicity only. He was an adulterer, as we've seen in previous texts. He was living with a woman who wasn't his wife, and she was actually another man's wife. He was a murderer. He was motivated not by holiness, but by his own political aspirations. He was just kind of a sinful, glutton, a gluttonous drunkard. So he was filled with all kinds of like worldliness, worldly sin. So both things, the leaven of the Pharisees being hypocritical or fake, or like worldly sin, both things indicate unbelief. 
When you are walking in sin, whether it is hypocrisy or worldliness, what you are communicating, whether you are aware of it or not, is that in that moment when you are choosing to sin, you do not believe in the goodness of God. When you sin, you don't believe in Jesus fully. Levi, thank you. If you did, you wouldn't sin. The reason you sin is because you love your sin. So here's Jesus teaching this to his disciples. He's saying, you guys are so dangerously close to unbelief. Leaven would cause bread, bread to rise, similar to sin, like it doesn't ever just lie dormant. Like sin doesn't just stay in isolation. You, have you ever told a lie? And then in order to maintain your story, you have to keep lying, and it just grows and grows and grows. Or how about this one? I've never met a dude that one day just wakes up and is like, today's the day. I'm going to go have an affair. In my experience, it usually starts with something like a porn habit. And then when that stops satisfying, it's going to something else like flirting or suggestive talk with someone online or with your coworker or something like that. And then it eventually leads to something else and it just spirals on. Sin, when left unchecked, will always grow. Like a little leaven or a little yeast will leaven a whole lump. And what Jesus is using metaphorically to illustrate a point, these disciples took literally. They did not understand. They're like, Jesus, but we don't have bread. And it makes me laugh thinking about the tension and the blame shifting on this boat that I imagine has probably taken place. So I have this little side hustle. Um, I landlord for some rental properties. And a few years ago, I had this oil-filled company's men staying in some trailer houses that I manage. And one day after a rain, I go out there, and I find, like, this giant oil-filled truck-style figure eight just between the trailers. Just some guy had gotten in his truck and just, like, very Odessa-style. Um, and... Like, mud was slung all over my trailers, and, like, there's huge ruts in the land. So I went out there, and I called their boss, and she came out, and she said, hey, she called all the guys together. She goes, hey, who did this? No one said a word. Then she goes, all right, well, this company has charged us, like, X amount of dollars to power wash their trailers and level the land. I guess I'm going to take it out of all of your paychecks. And do you know what happened? Those dudes sang like canaries, like their fingers pointing this way and that way. That guy did it. No, that guy did it. And we finally got, and they fired the poor soul that did it. But anyways, I imagine that something similar is taking place on this boat. Like, Peter, you fool, how could you forget the bread? Shut up, James, it was your turn. No, I told Andrew to get it. Like, there's this whole thing, and I can just imagine Jesus in the front of the boat like, huh. Last week, 
We saw Jesus not really confront the disciples in a verbal way in their unbelief. He just got to work and started like supernaturally baking bread. This week, though, we see Jesus rebuke the disciples in their preoccupation with material things. Verse 17 says, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said seven, and he said to them, do you not yet understand? Jesus is rebuking them with a series of questions. This is calling us back to the rebukes and the warnings of God to the prophets of ancient Israel. Uh, for example, Ezekiel 12.2 says, son of man, which is a, like a messianic prophecy, a messianic term reserved for the Messiah. Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see but see not, who have ears to hear. But hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Jesus is quoting scripture back to these guys who know the scriptures in order to show them that their unbelief is nearing that of his enemies. Look, in these questions, Jesus is not intending to shame the disciples, but to instruct them. His response isn't, how dare you be hungry, but you've forgotten who I am. Man, we kind of like a a touchy-feely type Jesus, but Jesus that doesn't make any demands on our lives. Like, when we think about Jesus, we don't always like to think about the Jesus who is full of truth. We like a Jesus who is full of grace, but man, Christ is both. It would have been unloving and ungracious for Jesus to allow these guys to continue to persist in their unbelief without offering them any truth. Jesus shows them these miracles, and in doing so, one commentator suggests that by performing these miracles, Jesus did more than feed hungry people and more than suggest spiritual provision for the Jews first and then for the Gentiles. He intended to show the disciples that he was, in fact, the Christ. And they failed to understand this great truth at times. So Jesus looks at them and he says, Do you still not understand? Jesus, by saying still, our text today says, Do you you yet not understand? By saying still or yet, there is some hope left that there will come a time when these guys do, in fact, fully understand. And as I said in the beginning, do we understand who Jesus truly is? Here's a real and present danger for us today. It is possible to know a lot about the Bible. It is possible to know a lot of the Bible, just like the Pharisees, and have hearts that are not changed by Jesus. The point of knowing God's Word isn't for the sake of knowing God's Word. The point is that we would know Jesus deeper and more fully Every time you open your Bible, the Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts and minds through the text and reminds us just how good God is to us and how much we need Him. It's also possible to claim to be a Christian verbally, and your life is not marked by any fruit 
It is possible to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and your life is marked by more worldliness or more ambivalence than godliness. If this is you, yes, there is grace for you, and Christ is calling you to repent. But if you're not convicted by any of this, and you still want to live your life in a way that is contrary to God's word, and you want to live your life in a way that does not honor God, you may claim to be a Christian, but you might not be. Man, this text is inviting you to consider your life this morning. Listen, the primary goal of the Christian life is not that we get to heaven. That is a really nice byproduct and one of the rewards for faithfulness. But the goal of the Christian life is to honor Christ. It's to live a life devoted to Christ. It's to live a life of faithful dependency on Christ. This Christ who endured the cross for your sins and for your failures. And in response to that, we get to worship him. The goal for us is that we pursue holiness because Christ is holy. Meaning we seek to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing because Christ as our example and as our treasure is perfect and holy and complete, lacking in nothing. Man, and he desires to make us like him through faith in Christ alone. Man, if all you value is sin, if all you value is yourself, in the sum of your life, if you are walking in ongoing, unrepentant sin, whether it's some like visible outward sin that we all see, or straight not caring much for Christ, or what he's calling you to, man, Jesus is inviting you to lay that down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is inviting you to confess your sins in belief to him. Jesus is inviting you to trust him for the salvation of your soul. To look at him and see him crucified, resurrected, and now seating in the heavenly realms. To trust him with your soul and to obey him with your life. Man, if you don't know what obedience to Christ looks like, it means living like Jesus lived. And when we fail, which we're going to, we turn to him, we repent, we seek forgiveness, and then we pursue holiness again. Christ is inviting you to trust him. Christ is inviting you to give your whole life to him and live for him. Hebrews 4.2 gives us a warning. I want to read this and then I'm going to close. Hebrews 4.2 says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Listen, if you sit here week after week and hear the gospel and it doesn't move you to love, it doesn't move you to trust, it doesn't move you to follow Jesus, what that verse says is you are heaping judgment on yourselves. Man, but God is so gracious to help us in our unbelief. God is gracious to help us learn to love and follow and trust him. Man, to call us out of darkness and into light. Will you follow Jesus? Do not leave here unchanged. Let's pray.